Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls presented by House Enterprise. Join Will Tondo and Jake Zimmer every week as we dive into interviews with leaders in the craft beer, business news, and sports entertainment world. This podcast wouldn't be here without Spotify. Get to know Spotify for podcasters, the free all-in-one podcast platform for every creator. This tool allows you to publish shows to all major platforms and helps turn your passions into careers. To find out more, head over to podcasters.spotify.com. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code BBB for all wager incentives. That's code BBB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hope is here. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org if you have any issues. Play it smart from the start with GameSense. Now, here's our episode of Beers, Business, and Balls. All right, everybody. With us this week, we are joined by Gary Rogers, the founder and chief business chief of business operations over at True North Ale, um, one of Massachusetts' top breweries. We're excited to have True North on the podcast, and we're excited to talk with you, Gary. So, how's everything going? And happy spring! Yeah, I know spring is here. It's, uh, you know, winter in our business is always a little bit slow, and you know, with dry January and those other things that we hate from the production side of the, of the business. Uh, and that's all behind us now, the bad weather, the dark days. So uh, having a taste of summer last week when it hit 85 degrees, uh, you know, we just start seeing people coming out. And, uh, you know, with all of the pandemic stuff seeming to be in the back, uh, in the rearview mirror, uh, that helped as well. So, uh, you know, we're looking forward to a fabulous spring and, uh, and then summer right through the rest of the year. So for those that are in audio only mode right now, Gary, got to ask you because you're wearing the True North is that family lacrosse club sweatshirt. We've got to learn more about that right off the jump here. There's a lacrosse club. Uh, yeah, we do. We sponsor a lacrosse club. Uh, we play out of Charlestown. It actually says Townies. So we're the True North Townies. Ah. And, uh, and the uh, uh, it's a uh, over 30 and over 40 league. And for those of you who aren't on audio, you'll see that I'm well over 40. Uh, and, uh, I, but I continue to play. Uh, I'm the oldest guy on the team. I'm probably one of the oldest guys in the league. And we play from, uh, you know, down in Rhode Island up into New Hampshire. And uh, it's a competitive league, but it's a fun league. So we, uh, we've been doing the sponsorship for the 30s and 40s for a number of years now. And uh, probably the oldest guy in, in, the, uh, in the league now, but uh, still trying to play. We'll see if I can do it this year. You know, it's another year behind me. Tell what position do you play? Uh, well, you know, I was a midi for most of my career until I got old, and then I had to switch to attack. Fair enough, fair enough. Hey, who knows? I mean, the PLL is always calling for some talent, so maybe <laughs> the uh, the true north, uh, the uh, your team can be the feeder town for uh, you know, some of uh, the PLL. Yeah, we can spectate and provide the beer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, we love that. So, let's start with yourself, you know, your early life, you were. A man that wore many hats, a global sales leader. You were marketing at IBM. You were in the Boston startup space. You're a fisherman. You 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 accomplished it a lot. So you know, all the way back then, before you went to uh, you know Dartmouth College and before you got your degree at the University of Chicago, what did you want to do when you were growing up? Uh, well, I wanted to be a teacher, and I actually was a teacher for a couple of years at a prep school. I was a math teacher. I enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, and saw that uh, it was going to be the same uh, 
for 40 years if I'd stayed in it. And uh, it was also I wasn't going to make a lot of money as a teacher. So I decided after a couple of years that I'd get into the business side uh, as a math major in college. Uh, you know, I liked the uh, analytical side. Uh, technology was just coming then. If you think about when I joined IBM, it was prior to the PC being invent invented. So uh, there was uh, a tremendous ramp of, uh, of fun things that were going to be happening when I entered the business world then. Uh, in technology, and, and that's what I stayed in until uh, I was fortunate enough, <clears throat> because of uh, you know hitting some home runs with some uh, with some companies and uh, startups that just took off, and that I was able to uh, retire at a fairly young age, and uh, had had a hell of a lot of fun. So uh, you know, ten years of retirement where my wife and I were just traveling the uh, the world and and doing great things. That changed, however, when uh, my son got out of college and went to work in the brewing industry. Now, I'd been a home brewer since 1983, and uh, he was born a few years later. He grew up with me home brewing, but he decided that uh, he would get into the brewing industry. Uh, he had great ideas about things, and he'd tell me about, oh, geez, they could be doing this better, or they should do that, and I said, well, you're a smart kid. Why don't you open your own brewery, thinking that in my retirement, I'd sit there and drink a beer and watch him work. Uh, he, he invested nearly two years in really learning the operations side of the brewing business. And one day, my wife, Jill, and I were out with our younger son skiing in Jackson Hole, got a call. My son, Jake, said, hey, you've been telling me I should open my own brewery. I'm ready. I'm ready to open the brewery. So, uh, you know, tell you know, one condition, however, you got to do it with me. And after 10 years of retirement, I felt I had some, some uh, fuel in the tank and could still do it. And I said, yeah, let's go. And that's when we got started. So that was now over six years ago since uh, that phone call. And we've been uh, brewing and selling beer for five and a half years. So you've had some homebrew, uh, you've had some history with brewing too. It's not like you just kind of walked into it blindly. Uh, you started homebrewing in the 80s, of course. So Take us through uh, back then how you got into home brewing. You know, maybe what was your first, what was your favorite, and how uh, you know how did the the home brewing lead to you know down the road? Hey, maybe I maybe when my son asked me, I actually can do this. Uh, well, I'll tell you that uh, you know I when I was in college, I studied in Europe. I uh, traveled all over Europe and uh, had had good beers. I had Belgian beers and German beers and Czech beers. And uh, so I knew there was more available than what was in the market in the U.S. at the times. And, you know, back in the early 80s, it was, uh, you know, before craft brewing really got going. So, you know, if you wanted an ale, it would be a Jenny Cream ale. Uh, you know, there really wasn't a lot that was uh, that was available. I got started when we b uh, bought our first house. So I was able to put home brewing equipment, uh, store it in the basement. And so I could get going back in 83. A buddy of mine had started a year earlier, lived up in Portland, Maine, came down, helped me to get started, figure some of the things out. So uh, that that's how things got started. The uh, most interesting beer I think that, uh, that I did was uh, a steam beer and uh, sort of uh, got a recipe that was a clone of Anchor Steam and, and uh, did that. That was, uh, that was one of the more interesting ones. That, uh, and I, I did one lager uh, 
you know, making, brewing the beer, lagering it uh, under cold conditions for a number of months. And then when I opened it, it was a lager. You know, it, it was what I'd been drinking for the last 10 years. And that's about all you could get with a Budweiser. So uh, I decided that uh, I wouldn't do lagers again. And actually, I never did brew another lager. So. Was there a, what was your first beer? First beer was a pale ale. I did a pale that uh, the, uh, I thought it came out pretty good. Came out pretty good. Now, was it so... We always like to ask people, you know, especially have started from home brewing and then commercialized it. Was it good? Like, okay, you know, my friends and family members were, yeah, this is a pale ale. This is nice. Or was it, okay, I, I'm, I know what I'm doing type of thing. And uh, let's continue this. Let's continue this process. Well, you know, in 83, nobody had anything to compare it to. Uh, it was, it was just the mass produced lagers that everybody was drinking. So whatever I was making was new and different. But, you know, fast forward a number of years until, you know, we were uh, in the midst of craft brewing. Uh, I got really into brewing again when I retired. So I had the time. I was doing a lot of brewing. Uh, my son, Jake, built me equipment so that I could do, you know, all grain, uh, you know, batches and, uh, you know, really uh, have some more controls and some more creativity. Uh, I don't claim anything that we're doing as mine. That's our head brewer, Seth Barnum. He's, uh, he's the magician behind all this, and we should talk about what uh, his, his uh, credentials are uh, you know, as we move through this. Yeah, and another sort of feather in the cap for you is, uh, you know, obviously you're a North Shore guy. You grew up in Beverly, um, and the opportunity to um, you know, compete in the ALS, uh, Ales for ALS homebrewing competition back in 2013, too, uh, probably meant a lot to you getting to do that you know, in your home. Uh, you won... You helped out uh, build this incredible charity as well. Can you can you explain that process and that cause that uh, you were raising money for as well? Yeah, ALS for ALS, uh, the ALS uh, uh, Society uh, Foundation, on a worldwide basis, they're uh, located out in Washington State. They adopted craft brewing at, and years ago as a methodology for raising awareness and raising money for the, uh, uh, for the charity, for the uh, research work that they do. They're, uh, they, they just do a phenomenal job. And the hops growers have uh, uh, teamed with the foundation to offer a hops blend. And we, sh we should talk about that for the commercial brewers, but also going out for the home brewers and doing competitions all across the country and around the world. So the reason that I got involved in that is an unfortunate one. My uh, brother-in-law has ALS. Uh, fortunately for him, it's been a slow progression, and it's been more than 10 years since he was diagnosed. Uh, and my wife's college roommate's husband had ALS diagnosis about the same time, back in uh, the 2012 time frame. Uh, he was not so fortunate. He passed fairly quickly. Uh, the beer that I brewed for that competition where I was a double IPA that I called Iron Horse, named after Lou Gehrig, uh, Iron Horse, double E, double IPA. And the double E was Ed and Eric, my brother-in-law and our friend. And uh, it, was, it was pretty good beer. And I got to go and brew it at uh, the Cape Ann Brewing Company in Gloucester, Massachusetts. 
So we did a 20 barrel batch of that. It was uh, on tap at their tap room. It went to a number of restaurants in the area and uh, I, I, was, I was pretty happy with it. So uh, that, uh, that connection with ALS has remained uh, certainly because of the, uh, uh, our brother-in-law and uh, we continue to do uh, uh, ALS beers in uh, you know, each year. In fact, we'll have one coming up uh, in the next month or so. That's awesome. That's just, I mean, you know, out of all the accomplishments you've had in your career, that's got to be one that definitely sits close to home and special for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll have, uh, you know, the many people know Pete Frades, who uh, started the Ice Bucket Challenge. Uh, he's from my hometown, Beverly, which is only 10 miles from here. Uh, we've worked with the Frades family. Uh, in fact, uh, Andrew Frades, his brother, was just, just here at the tap room uh, uh, last week. So, uh, you know, we're, we're close to the family. We're doing a lot of work to uh, continue to support uh, both ALS research, but also patient care uh, for people who are afflicted. That's awesome. That's beautiful to hear. So let's transition to this True North, your endeavor now. So you mentioned that your son was in the industry. Um, you retired and said, hey, this business comes, let's, let's do this business. But I want to talk about the first challenge you had with this business, and that was the name. So, you know, based on your website, you were mentioning that there was a distillery in Michigan. Um, there were some patent issues. So I'd love for you to walk us through how you found this name True North and the inspiration behind it, and then how you overcame all of the uh, legality issues and the connections that you made to, uh, of course, keep the name True North Ale Company. Yeah, that, that was uh, an early challenge. Uh, Jake came up with the name. Uh, he was looking for, you know, a name that had some substance to it, some strength. And uh, True North works for us for a variety of reasons. Uh, and you go right through it. The, uh, the, the integrity of the business that we were looking to run, the true part. Uh, obviously, we're in the north part of the country. We're on the north shore of Boston. Uh, and then True North, which is, uh, you know, uh, the uh, reading on a compass, Ipswich, where we're located, very historic uh, town here in Massachusetts, uh, is a port, uh, is a seafaring community, uh, you know, very much all three of those reasons, it fit very well for us. So we put the name in to uh, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and it was rejected <laughs> because there was a distillery in Michigan that had a line of vodkas that they called True North, and they felt there'd be uh, confusion in the market if there was True North Ale Company and a Michigan distillery with True North vodka line. And we're thinking, what? you got to be kidding me. Uh, a fraternity brother of mine, a patent uh, attorney, uh, I, I told him the story, and he said, you know, there's a way around that. If you and the other company, the distillery in, in Michigan, go together to the Patent and Trademark Office and say, we're okay with this, we don't believe that either of us will be uh, hurt, and we don't think the consumer will either, here are the reasons that the, the Patent and Trademark Office will likely go along with, with what you say. And we didn't know this distillery at all. However, Another fraternity, a brother of mine, who is, was our founding CFO here at True North Ales, another you know, retired guy who uh, was a banker in his real career. So uh, I said to Rory, I said, uh, all right, Rory, you're from Michigan. 
why don't you reach out to this guy from Michigan and see if you can, you know, uh, get some karma going and have him agree to do this with us. Uh, so Rory took it upon himself, contacted the guy, uh, was out there in the summertime, went to his, his place, and he agreed. We got it done. No money changed hands. He was very magnanimous about it. He said, we'll support you on this. We went back to the trademark office and uh, got the name. So that was... Uh, we, we were already looking at other names, and my son was adamant that we were going to get this done, and, and we did. So it was uh, thanks to Rory and thanks to uh, the, the folks out at, uh, at the distiller, uh, Grant Travers uh, Distillery. You know, that's enough challenge to sort of just say, okay, like that's enough challenges for, <laughs> for a lifetime at a brewery, basically. But obviously there's, there's a lot more that goes into it, right? A couple of years ago, you mentioned your biggest challenges were – finding a location. It was building a world-class team and, and physically building your space too, the brewery and the tap room. So, you know, we're now uh, a couple of years after those comments here. Uh, are you happy with the way everything went down? Um, and, you know, how did you overcome some of those challenges to, to find the physical spot and, and to build that team up? Uh, yeah. You know, we, um, we went through, I think probably everybody has done this going through the uh, the uh, the building process of it taking a lot longer. Uh, when we started out, I was counseled that you know, you can count on it taking a lot longer and costing a lot more money than what you budgeted, uh, and that everybody was true on both on both facts. And taking that into account, I budgeted a lot more time and a lot more money, and then went beyond those things. So uh, we, we eventually did get there. That was in 2017. Now with COVID and what's been going on, you know, for the last few years, everybody was throwing more curveballs during that time. So uh, I look back at what we had to go through in, uh, you know, building up the place in 2016 and 17 uh, compared to COVID. And that, that, that was actually pretty easy. So uh, it's, uh, it's now on the on the other side of you know two and a half three years of uh, of the COVID uh, challenges that uh, you know we're starting to see some uh, you know some runway ahead again. And to that point too, some of the challenges now you know as, as True North is established and I'd argue one of the better known beer brands for Massachusetts. What what do you foresee these next couple of years looking like as far as as challenges growing it and maintaining? So the, the interesting thing with COVID, uh, every little brewery, and when we put our business plan together, I think there were 48 breweries in Massachusetts. Now I think there are 248 uh, breweries in Mass. So what happened with the proliferation of, uh, of smaller startup breweries, COVID hit and they had to survive. And nobody was coming to the tap room because the tap rooms were closed. So they started putting beer in cans. And we saw the mobile canning guys coming in and suddenly you see on store shelves, competing for a store shelf position, uh, a whole bunch more breweries. Uh, also at that time, the people who used to make pilgrimages up to Vermont to get some of the great Vermont beers they weren't going across state lines and the Vermont guys were dying. So suddenly we saw beers that you could only get at the brewery showing up on store shelves in Massachusetts because you had to go where the people are. So the Vermont guys got distribution rights and started pushing their beers down uh, onto store shelves in 
uh, in mass. And in both cases, here we are three years later, it's continuing. So we have a lot more competition with more breweries coming in and also more breweries putting beer on store shelves than, uh, than certainly would have been the case without COVID. So that, that, that's a challenge that we're all facing where you know, there's only so many consumers out there who are drinking beer. Uh, you've got the other challenges that come from, you know, the fads that come up of hard seltzer and RTDs and, the, you know, that also vies for consumer attention and for store, store shelf space. Uh, you know, it's been an interesting ride for, uh, you know, for the last few years with all the changes that we've seen. And what does your day-to-day -day look like? Um, you know, with your background, obviously you come from that sales and marketing leadership experiences. Is that some of the work that you do at True North? Like what, what is your role with the company? Yeah. So, you know, I was the sales guy in the first year or two and, uh, going out and, and, and making all the calls on the bar managers and the store managers. And, uh, but, uh, currently we have a uh, sales team. We've got three sales guys and a, uh, director of sales we're in three states, so we're here in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, uh, excuse me, New Hampshire and Rhode Island. Uh, so that team is out there humping it, working with our distributors uh, in the three states to uh, to make things happen. So I get involved and help out on the sales side as you know, as I'm needed or as I can uh, add value. Uh, most of my day-to-day -day work uh, is sort of thinking strategically. Uh, you know, where are we going to take this? Where are we going to go next? Uh, we, our tap room, and I'm sitting here in our event space, and, uh, you know, this event space, we've had weddings in here with 120 people sitting down to dinner with a dance floor. I mean, it's a big space, and we can do a lot with it, and we plan to do a lot more with it. The uh, patios that we have, the tap room uh, environment that we have, I think we need to replicate that uh, somewhere else in the state. Uh, it will certainly help with brand building. It will help us uh, to, you know, certainly with, uh, with what we're doing here if we did it somewhere else. Uh, it would make our brand more recognizable wherever we open up a tap room. And I think that would help uh, help quite a bit. So the one-two punch of uh, the distribution business, both on-prem and off-prem, uh, as well as the uh, the uh, <clears throat> tap room business, is uh, you know how we're going to continue to work to expand. And the geography, you know, we're not looking to be in 15 states. What we'd like to do is further penetrate the uh, the markets that we're in and become. Uh, better known and more accepted in these markets uh, rather than just try to be an inch deep and a mile wide and go to, you know, all the way down the eastern seaboard or something. All right. It makes sense. And, and it's a perfect transition to the product, too. So what what is on tap? Right. We spent a lot of time talking about the business, but the actual product, you know, what, when a consumer walks into True North as far as the tap room goes or you know, maybe they see it on the menu at Yard House and uh, in Linfield or something like that. What should a consumer expect from uh, True North beer? Well, I think what you're going to find is a, uh, a broad, diverse offering. Uh, Seth Barnum, I mentioned earlier, our head brewer, uh, he has brewing certificates from Siebel uh, and Domans in Munich, Germany. He loves brewing German lagers. Uh, he's an amazing brewer of IPAs, the sours, fruited sours that he's been doing. So if you come in and you see that we've got 20 beers on tap, you're going to find 
several IPAs, both uh, Hazy Juicy New England as well as uh, our new American IPA, Straight Up. Uh, you'll see multiple sours. We typically have three or four sours going. Uh, we've got multiple German uh, lagers right now. We've got a year-round Hellas. Uh, we've got a Doppelbach on right now. We've got a Pils on right now. So it's not like many places where you go in and you can, uh, you know, choose from the 10 IPAs that they've got and maybe a stout. Uh, we've got a, a diverse offering. And the reason we can do that, we invested in not, not only the production 30-barrel system, but a five-barrel system that we'll typically do 10-barrel batches on that are mainly for the taproom. That allows people to, to uh, you know, come in and sample something that's different that they haven't tried before. We're going to take a quick break to give you a note from our sponsors over at DraftKings. Get in on the NBA playoff actions with the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make a $5 pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Download the app now and sign up with the code BBB. That's code BBB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Opt-in required. One bonus bet issued based on the amount of initial losing NBA bet. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. And remember, use the code BBB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And your beer, I mean, safe to say it's award-winning. I mean, it is award-winning. You have clean sweeped in a bunch of different categories. Uh, the Belgian Blonder, you know, you have the gold medal for the best craft beer awards. Uh, gold award in the World Beer Cup in 2018. Gold medals for the North America Brewers Association competition in 19 and 22. Um, a bunch of different, your, your Cerveza Mexican Lager is award winning, the Northern Hazy Juicy IPA, the Windshield Cold IPA. I mean, I'd love to see the trophy cabinet at True North Ale when we come up <laughs> to an Ipswich because this is incredible. So is there a beer that you're most proud of with these awards? Well, you know... <laughs> When we were five months old, <clears throat> we went to the World Beer to the uh, Craft Brewers Conference down in Nashville, uh, and you know we went to the award ceremony. We weren't thinking anything of it. Uh, we had entered some beers, of course, but uh, you know the chances of us winning anything were were minuscule. We were five months old, uh, and Vincian won gold. And we beat all the Belgians. I mean, the silver went to the uh, a brewery from the Netherlands. Uh, I mean, it's it was it's a legitimate world class beer. And as you mentioned, it's won many other awards since then. But uh, that just blew us away. Absolutely blew us away. So when you come out, go into your first major competition, and walk away with a gold, you're saying, "Holy shit, we may have something going here." And uh, and, and, and then after that, you mentioned Cerveza, our Mexican lager. It's actually the, the beer that's won the most awards for us because it took a silver at the Great American Beer Fest 
and then the next year took a gold at the, uh, the beer fest. I mean, they're only really, and I don't want to insult anybody, but the two uh, competitions that really matter in the world of brewing are the World Beer Cup and the Great American Beer Fest. Uh, the others, Seth enters because he knows the judges are very good and capable. capable. The feedback that he gets is going to be valuable to him. Uh, and being compared by those judges to, you know, other beers that he knows are very, very good. Um, and then beating them is what, is what he wants to do. So uh, we enter the other competitions, uh, you know, the North American Brewers Association, Best of Craft Beer Awards. Uh, and that's about it. Those are the four that we do. Uh, the first two, that's all about prestige. And the second two, uh, it's really about learning. And is there a beer that surprised you the most of, you know, you entered into some competitions or got some feedback from, you know, consumers that you were like, yeah, this is going to be a solid beer, but it turned out to be a fan favorite. Uh, well, I, w I can't say that it's Northern Haze. That's our flagship IPA because that came out and just took off. I mean, it really hit. That's the one that took bronze at uh, the Great American Beer Fest. Uh, probably the, uh, the, the thing that uh, struck us was uh, the winning for our cucumber uh, uh, key lime sour that we put into competition two summers ago. And, you know, the sour categories are, are pretty tough. There are some specialists, some brewers that specialize in those sours. And, uh, you know, Seth wanted to just see how it would do and get some feedback and, uh, and it meddled. So, you know, since then, our sour program has, has really taken off. Uh, and we've got uh, dedicated tap lines at many restaurants in the, in the region now that just rotate our sours. And we bring out, you know, new sours every couple of months. So uh, the one that we just packaged this morning was a strawberry rhubarb sour. So, uh, you know, creative things, fun things, and uh, a, a bit of a different drinking audience than, uh, you know, the typical IPAs. And as far as the favorite beers, right, there's some fan favorites. There's obviously the ones that you're most proud of and the awards and stuff, but is there a beer that amongst your family is, is the favorite, right? Like, you know, inside the founding group, is there something that, you know, you all collectively know, like, Hey, that was, that's a really good beer. We're going to reach for that. I, I'd have to say it's our Munich Hellas. Uh, you know, Seth makes amazing German beers. Uh, my wife and I were over at uh, Oktoberfest two years ago, and I would drink a Fest beer, you know, a, a liter of Fest beer, and uh, and it's a little bit maltier, a little bit heavier, and then I'd, the next one I'd have a Hellas, and then I'd have another Hellas. Uh, and I found that the Hellas is just so clean and, and drinkable. Uh, Seth started doing the Hellas geez, I think it was in our first or, or toward the end of our first year uh, that he did uh, uh, our Hellas. And it's now a year-round offering. And it's got a great name that the guys in production, uh, you know, came up with back, the, you know, several years ago. It's called Holy Schnitt. And uh, so, you know, if you know what a Schnitt is, if you go to a, you know, a beer hall in uh, Germany, it's the end of the night. You don't really want another full beer. You go to the to the uh, bartender and say, hey, you know, just give me a schnitt. He'll give you, a, you know, a half pour, charge you accordingly. And uh, 
So, you know, it's a pun, but it's, uh, it also works. Love that. And in all of your travels to Europe, you know, the multiple times throughout your, your life, was there any breweries or, you know, beer brands that really stuck out to you that made you admire those, you know, Eastern European, European style beers? Well, you know, we, I, we talked about Vinciana, our Belgian blonde. Uh, Vinciana was, the name came from a real person, a friend of ours, uh, whose name Vinciana. Uh, we met when our, we were living in Europe and our, my son Jake and his uh, brother Grant were in grade school. Uh, Vinciana was the mom of uh, three of the other students uh, and, and she's Belgian and blonde. And she became a very good friend. And so when we named our Belgian blonde, it was easy. We're going to call it Vinciane. We went over, uh, Jill and I did, to visit with uh, Vinciane and Guy and spent a week pretty much going from brewery to brewery. And I'll tell you, there are some amazing breweries in Belgium. Uh, the, the one that struck me the most was in Bruges. And you, many of you in the audience probably have heard the story about uh, the, the brewery that's in the downtown section of historic Bruges, but they were big enough that they had to uh, build another facility outside the town. And they put a, a pipeline under the town, under people's homes, so that they could transport beer to the fermenters for packaging outside the city. And if it went under your home, you got a... a uh, a kit essentially for a beer a day for the rest of your life because they had to you know come onto your property and uh, put the pipeline through so people could walk over to the brewery and have a beer so th that that kind of thing impresses the heck out of me i mean not bad i i guess true north should start making some pipelines and we buy we buy steak up in uh ipswich right get a beer a day for the rest of our lives that would be a, a pretty sweet gig uh, it'd be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so are there any other beers that, you know, in your whole Rolodex over the past couple of years that, you know, you thought were going to be successful and weren't? Um, or are there any beers that you haven't made yet and you would like to, you know, add that to your portfolio? Uh, well, I, you know, you mentioned Windchill taking an award uh, very recently, um, uh, that is a cold IPA. That was done the first time. I, we were the first brewery in Massachusetts ever to do a cold IPA back two years ago, a uh, year and a half ago. And uh, it, it just, you know, it's, it's uses lager yeast, but it's an IPA. And I'd say, well, why isn't it an IPL? And, uh, you know, that, it's a marketing thing as far as I'm concerned. And you are... Uh, fermenting at the higher range of the lager yeast for this uh, cold IPA. But uh, to me, it's still an IPL. But uh, uh, I, I would say that uh, I don't know of a beer that didn't hit. I would say the IPL is one that surprised me in that it did hit as well as it did. And, uh, you know, because we did a... Uh, now I can't remember the style of uh, of IPA that uh, that was done back about three and a half years ago, and we did one of those, and it just didn't really take off. Uh, I'm losing it right now. Maybe you guys can help me. It was uh, a brute IPA. Mm. 
remember that. So it came out of a guy in California who invented it. And, uh, but, it, you know, it just didn't take off. And, uh, you know, it was supposed to be the next big thing after the New England-style IPA. And, uh, and we did one, and it was nice. And other people did it, and then it sort of faded. So uh, we'll see if this cold IPA uh, has any legs to it. But uh, that was one style that uh, you know had high hopes. A lot of uh, the uh, pundits were saying it was going to be a big deal, but uh, never really took off. So one thing's for sure that's come up a bunch in this interview already. And, and True North is a family business, right? It's you know there, there's clear backbones of family here. So. That being said, I mean, what's been the most rewarding part for you having this be a, a family sort of owned and operated business? And, and to that point, what's been the hardest part of, of working with family? Well, the the rewarding part is right from the start is uh, being impressed with what your son does. You know, I, I never worked with him before. He was my son. Uh, we get into the business. He and Seth went, you know, went right to work on designing you know, what the layout was going to be for the equipment before we bought it, why it was going to be done that way, thinking through that, doing all of the work. He did a lot of the work uh, overseeing the project. Uh, I said, holy shit, this kid knows what he's doing. And uh, it it was impressive. And uh, I, I'd say right from the start, that's something that since, you know, all I did was homebrew, uh, you know, what, what did I know? I could drink a beer. But, uh, you know, he and Seth got together and really got things going during 2017 and uh, and got us uh, in business uh, at the end of 2017 and you know we haven't looked back uh, my wife had uh, you know did, did not want to be a part of this ah that's you know you and Jake that's your thing and uh, that didn't last long she got sucked in she saw how much fun we were having and uh, now she is also working here full-time she does all of our merchandise helps out with tap room does a lot of the marketing stuff and uh, you know, so every day the three of us are working together, and uh, then the extended family. I had mentioned my fraternity brother, uh, our our founding CFO, uh, was with us for five years before he retired again, and unfortunately passed away. Uh, but uh, but you know, a big part of the family, Seth. Uh, you know, Jake's known him. I've known him for a bunch of years before uh, we started this. Uh, you know, right there, it's a, it's a, an important thing to be working with people who you really respect and, uh, and, and doing it on a daily basis. So that, that's the rewarding part. Uh, the challenging part, uh, you know, every once in a while, <laughs> better not say it because my wife will be all over me. But, uh, but uh, you know, every once in a while you disagree. And, uh, you know, if it was... If it was uh, a different business, uh, I could just overrule people. But, uh, you know, <laughs> can't do that as well here when you've got, uh, you know, 40 years of marriage. <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's a, seems like a minor point, right? <laughs> back to the dinner table and you're like, ah, this is, uh, should have left it in the tap room, right? There you go. There you go. So we talked about your career in True North. Let's get to some of your personal life. So you're a big outdoors guy. Uh, I want to rank your favorite activities. So you got biking, hiking, skiing, motorcycle, fishing, and bird hunting. So what is the power ranking in the Gary Rogers world of your outdoor passions? You know, it's the, the thing is that there's not a lot of overlap in some of those things as far as time of year. You know, you can only 
hunt, for example, in the fall. Uh, the best time for hiking and mountain biking is when there's not snow on the ground. Best time for skiing is when there's snow on the ground. Uh, but I, I would say that the thing that I've really enjoyed the most um, and didn't really take it up in any serious way until after I stopped running. I ran a couple of marathons and I ran lots of road races. Uh, but when I, when I was giving up on the distance running, I got into cycling. And it, it is just so much fun. And we've been all over the world doing cycling trips in Germany, in Spain, in uh, Tasmania. Uh, it's, it's just a great way to see the, the various countries and get some exercise and have some fun. So I'd say that's probably uh, right there on the top. But then again, going out to see my son, Grant, in Jackson Hole, where he's been living for the last 11 years, uh, we just did that in March. Wow. <laughs> you can't beat that when you're doing it. You know, it's one of those, it's like hard to get on the plane to come back after that. It's like, oh man, you could just stay here for a bit. I'm not even a skier and I can appreciate that, you know? Uh, just the, the beauty of the area, the challenge of the terrain, uh, you know, being with your, with your son and your wife and just uh, can't be beat. Are you new to motorcycling or have you always been like a biker? I, I had a motorcycle when I was in high school and then I didn't for many years uh, but as I was getting, you know, into the retirement time, I bought a bike. Uh, my brother-in-law, who I mentioned earlier, had a, a similar bike, and we've done some amazing adventures. We've motorcycled uh, to the Copper Canyon in Mexico. We've gone up to the Yukon. We've gone. We had to fly and then rent bikes uh, in uh, New Zealand. So uh, I, I really enjoy getting out on a motorcycle. You fit all the boxes. That's a uh, that's pretty awesome. And then of course. Uh, you know, being a North Shore guy, you live and die, you live and die Boston sports. So obviously this is a pretty uh, perfect timing. You know, you got the Celtics and Bees right now in the playoffs. What are, I mean, it's championship or bust for both teams in your eyes, right? It, you know, it has to be. And, uh, you know, this is a, an odd week for me. I went to the Bruins game Monday night. I went to the Red Sox game Wednesday night. Uh, you know, I'm tired just by going to these games. I don't, you know, I'm not playing them, but I'm, so uh, you know, the Bruins look great. And then I didn't see them look bad because I was at the Sox game. Uh, you know, Celtics and Bruins both tonight. They, you know, after the seasons that they both had, especially the Bruins, it would be a big disappointment if they didn't go the, you know, you know, run the table on this thing. But uh, I tell you, 82 games of fun. Uh, with the Bruins this year, it's just uh, it's just so much uh, so much fun to uh, participate in that as a spectator and see what these guys are doing. Yeah, I'm I'm a big time <laughs> I'm a big time Boston fan. I think the Bruins needed to get punched in the face the other night, though. That they just needed great. that. That was uh, the worst well, game well, I've ever seen of any sport. That was bad. They did get punched in the face, and I think they realized it. We'll see what happens tonight. I hope yeah, so. Florida is one. Of, I mean, it's hockey. It's one of those things where. The Bruins, yes, incredible season, but it, it it's a seven-game slate, and it can go either way. Um, but you mentioned the Red Sox as well. We're Yankee fans. Um, sorry, cards on the table. Yeah, cards on the table. We're not we're not going to insult anybody or make any fun of anybody. And it's still early on. But what do the Red Sox need for you to at least consider it a successful season? Uh, it's not going to be a successful season. <laughs> That was what we were hoping you'd say, but so thank you. For you know, there's, there's, there's just a lack of talent and depth. 
uh, I went with a buddy of mine on Wednesday and, and he's a big baseball guy and we were, you know, talking about what the potential is. And I said, well, hey, don't forget, the, you know, when the they changed. Remember Morgan Magic when uh, Joe Morgan took over the team and, uh, you know, after the All-Star break and, and took them to the World Series. Uh, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's not they're not going to change managers because they've got a good one. What they need to do is get some talent. Hey, I liked Adam Duvall. He was off to a great start, and then he just—he's going to be out for the next couple months, which really sucks. That was some big wind out of their sail. Yeah, and and as I say, no depth behind him. They had to move their, you know, their shortstop to uh, to play center field. But then again, that that shortstop made an error a game up until that point. So I mean, they're just—they're just not very good. Yeah. That's but I won't, I, I'm not going to become a, a Yankees fan, though. I won't. <laughs> That's fine. We That's weren't going to ask you to. We knew that was off the table. <laughs> but um, all right, here's the kicker now. So this is where we branch off. Will's a Giants fan. I'm half good. I'm a Patriots fan, though, too. So realistic expectations from New England this year as well. I'm optimistic. I don't know about you. Do you share those same feelings as I do? Nah. No? They, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, I just, it just doesn't seem to be happening. They're not, I don't know what it is. It's not just the quarterback either. I mean, no, it's not the, just like, the quarterback that they have, I don't think is the answer, but it, that's not the reason that they're not at the level. Uh, right. He's also not the problem. I, I get around. I can get around that. It's not the total problem is there's more to it, but uh you know, I, I'm less of a Patriots fan or a football fan than I am the other sports. Uh, you know, if I ranked them one, two, three, four, it would be Bruins first. It, we used to always be the Red Sox. It used to always be the Celtics. But I was a Celtics fan when, you know, Bill Russell was playing. And I'd go to games and see him play against Chamberlain. And, you know, it was absolutely wild in the old garden. Uh, the... Uh, you know, today's game is, is very different. It's fun to watch, but it's just move the ball as fast as you can until you can get a three. And uh, it's, it's a different style. They're not driving the, the paint. They're not doing the, you know, it's, it's a different game. So uh, I've hockey, on the other hand, it's just so much better than it used to be. It's, uh, there's no pull and tug and, you know, and interfering all the time. They're, they're actually skating, and uh, it's just a wide-open game. So that's, that's a lot of fun. It's a beautiful game. This is the first year that I've really followed it. Will's been following for a long time, and it's it's just there's few things better than just the, some of the most athletic guys on the earth on ice just beating the crap out of each other. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing what they can do on skates. Yeah, we just need we just need the broadcasting world to and the media world to elevate it a little bit more. Um, that's the because it's like even with like ESPN and, and this is like a whole podcast on its own. It's like they, they post what they want and it's like you got to be following the whole season. And it's yeah. hard to keep up when, you know, you're getting football highlights 24-7. But I guess that's the, the distribution of equity and money and all of that stuff. You know, what's been interesting to me is to see when a, uh, a town that you'd never think hockey would be popular and they get a hockey franchise like Nashville. And suddenly everybody's a Predators fan and they love the game. And it, it's, you know, it's, I think that the NHL is doing a good thing and opening uh, in places like Charlotte and Nashville and Florida. Uh, I mean, Florida was always the transplants from the North, but uh, you know, these other places 
doing pretty well. Uh, you know, Arizona, I think, is building a new uh, a new barn, but the one they're in is is like a high school thing. But uh, but that that's taken off there too. So it's, you know what's uh, so odd is that like they're they're playing at ASU's brand new stadium, and it can only hold five thousand people. So you know they've got the broadcasters basically on ice level, but you know they sell the thing out when they're playing the Bruins, for example, months ago. And the Bruins come back and say, that was the best ice I've ever played on in my life. Oh, is that right? right? Because it was just so new and fresh and stuff. I'm like, what? Something doesn't add up here. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah they, don't, they don't care if there are 5,000 uh, fans or 15,000 fans. It's, uh, they're doing what they're doing on the ice. Yeah. They just want to go play and then beat the crap out of somebody. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens uh, in the playoffs. Should be real fun. Um, to, to start closing out here what's the biggest takeaway from true North, right? Like if, if somebody asks what's true North, you know, what's, what's your biggest takeaway for them? So the, there are two things, uh, two ways of looking at it. There's uh, beer out in the market and how we're perceived out there and people should, uh, they should know that if they buy one of our beers, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, you know, our tagline is award-winning beer. That's how we're, we're promoting ourselves. You know, we've, we've won more awards than any brewery in Massachusetts. You know, thinking about the Great American Beer Fest and uh, World Beer Cup, uh, we're, you know, we're only behind Allagash in all of New England. So, you know, for a five-year-old brewery, at, you know, over the last five years, you know, Seth's making great beer. So I, I would say that people should be confident that they're going to get a great beer when they, uh, when they choose one of ours. Here at the Tap Room, it's all about building community. And that's the interesting part about having a brewery is that it attracts people and it, it, whether it's a fundraiser, it's a, you know, an ALS fundraiser or something else. Uh, uh, it's uh, people who are running the Boston Marathon who hold their fundraisers here. Uh, it, it attracts people. And then we're able to use that bully pulpit to, to do good. Uh, so you can do it on that level. And it's just, you know, people walking in and, and it's all set up like a beer hall. So, uh, you know, you're going to be sitting next to people who maybe you don't know, but then you get to know them. And I think that's important, too. So, uh, you know, great beer and uh, uh, a real focus on building community. And, you know, words of wisdom section of, you know, someone like yourself, where you've had many hats in, in corporate America, you've retired, you're now in the family business of, and in the craft beer business. What advice do you have someone who, might be following a similar journey path that you had or someone who is looking to make a career switch and, uh, you know, start something completely new. What advice would you give to them? Uh, I would say, you know, think about scale and uh, what, what kind of a business you want to have. Do you want to have, uh, you know, a taproom business uh, or is it more of a distribution business? Because the, the distribution side of the business is very challenging. The margins suck. It's, uh, you know, it's just a, a different model uh, than uh, the taproom side of the business. So you know, that would be the piece of uh, advice that I'd have is think about the scale that you want to be at and uh, you know, what's most important to you. Is it, is it uh, you know, being in, in 10 states uh, or is it... Uh, you know, doing that community building that I mentioned earlier on a smaller scale, but uh, maybe a more meaningful scale. 
And as far as what's next, I know we touched upon it a little bit, but anything you want to plug any, any things coming up with the spring that you'd like to highlight or maybe the summer or just some general plans on, on what's next for, for this year. And then maybe in years future for true North. Well, I'll tell you near term, we just introduced a new beer a few weeks ago. It's uh, a new year round, uh, you know, core offering. And the reason that we brought this out, it's called Straight Up IPA, and it's a straight up IPA. It's, you know, it doesn't have fruits or juices or anything, but it's a, an American IPA, clear, not hazy. Uh, it's got a tremendous uh, hops, tropical uh, fruit nose to it and flavors. Uh, but people were coming in and they're saying, you know, I've liked these, you know, hazy, juicy IPAs, but they were looking for something that was a little cleaner, a little more drinkable, you know, not as big a meal uh, for, uh, you know, drinking that, uh, that big, hazy, juicy. And uh, so we, Seth worked on it hard uh, end of last year, beginning of this year, multiple test batches that he brought out that he kept tweaking. We uh, got a lot of feedback from people. We put it into a couple of uh, uh, restaurants to get feedback away from the tap room. And uh, he kept refining it over four or five uh, test batches to get to where we launched uh, the uh, just the first of April. And uh, it really has taken off for us. It's doing really well. You can get, get it at Trader Joe's. You can get it at other places. That, uh, places have grabbed onto it. So that's something that we're going, you know, now we're three weeks into it. We're working hard to promote it and to you know to make it really successful and it's right there with northern haze our hazy juicy and so people have those two alternatives uh, as we go into the summer it's sour season it's cerveza mexican lager uh, those beers just take off in the summertime for us so uh, not only here but obviously out in the in the market so that's happening and i mentioned earlier about uh, you know strategically looking forward and starting to do some work on Hey, should we be looking at another location for, uh, you know, building tap room, building community, doing all the things that we do here uh, uh, somewhere else? Because it also helps with brand building. So, you know, we've got a lot on our plate. It's going to be fun. A lot of good stuff moving forward. And uh, Gary, we appreciate the time. So where can our listeners visit your location, find your beer, and of course, follow along your journey online? Super. Uh, where we are is in the three states I mentioned, uh, Massachusetts, we're, we're, you know, throughout the state and we're in stores. I mentioned Trader Joe's, Whole Food, we're in Costco, but we're in a lot of the independent stores that do such a good job of, uh, of promoting our beer. Uh, same thing with, uh, with New Hampshire. Uh, Rhode Island, we're really just getting going uh, with Rhode Island. The, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're in, or, you know, have been in 13 or 1400 bars and restaurants. Of course, you get rotated a lot, but, uh, uh, you know, you can find our beer on tap. You can try uh, something. Once people try the liquid, then they, when they go into the store, they know what they're looking for. And that, that helps us a lot with our uh, on-premise and on-premise, off-premise uh, uh, strategy for sales. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's where we're found. And then, of course, everyone's at www.truenorthales.com. Love it. Gary Rogers, thank you so much for coming on. We're looking forward to having a couple True North pints sometime soon. Well, come up and see us. Not that far. Absolutely. We'll be there. We'll be there. So thank you again and uh, good luck with everything. All right. Hey, thank you guys.
Thanks for listening. Remember to hit the follow button on Spotify and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter and Instagram and check out house-enterprise.com for all of our content. There's also no better way to end this podcast than a note from our partners over at Manscaped. What guy or girl wouldn't want the right tools for the job? Head over to manscaped.com house or use the code house at checkout for 20% off and free shipping on your orders. See you next time. And remember, the house always wins.